Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Did that sound like a song from Sesame Street? I love that bumper music. I feel like Big Bird and I should come out here and do something together. That would be awesome. How many of you are here for the second sir, this? How many of you this morning in this room are here for your second hour of worship? Because last hour was so awesome. Keep your hands up. I want you, those of you that just come in for third, these are the loyal faithful. Uh, Adam set a false alarm uh, at the end of communion last hour. The band must have gone out and had a cigar because a smoke alarm went off. And uh, we cleared the room. But here's what we learned. We can get the kids out of this building like pros. And if the parents calm down, we'll get them out too. And... Uh, <laughs> So we had a lot of communion out in the parking lot. It was pretty awesome, but our kids got out of here. And the best thing I can say, and I had nothing to do with this, obviously. I was standing here being bossy. Uh, A principal of our high school came to me and said, I want to applaud the fact that you got the little people out of the building as quickly as you did. And so if that's how we do a fire uh, practice around here, praise the Lord, the building's still not burning. So it's been a good day. So last hour was the best sermon I never preached, and you get to hear it this hour. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And uh, if you're visiting, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. And uh, we decided to do a series called Why Church? Michael DeFazio, uh, who is our teaching pastor, opened the series last week, and I was grateful he did. And I'm going to quiz you a little bit. Do you remember what Michael's answer to Why Church was? Because God. I want you to remember that. Not just because God said so, but because of who God is. And I thought, I thought he did a wonderful job uh, with that last week. I listened to it on my drive back from Indiana, uh, where I was speaking last weekend, and I thought he did an amazing job. He's such a bright guy anyway, but he communicated it so clearly. And what I loved is so simply. I was challenged by a professor in my undergrad studies to never spend people's time answering questions they're not asking. And so I want to explain to you, as one of the ministers here, that the reason we're doing this Why Church series is not because a bunch of you have come up and said, Why Church? It's because the people you live around every day wonder. The people you work with and go to school with, and even in some of your own homes, they wonder. Sure, a preacher's going to promote church because that's where he gets his salary from, but I'm not doing that. We promote the church because it's part of God's plan to save the world. And so it's not only what we get out of it, it's what we put into it. It's how we respond to this God because God. Because God who came to us when we didn't know we needed him. Because of a God who loves us in spite of our failures. Because of a God who created through Abraham a nation of faith. And that nation of faith is now the church. And it doesn't have an ethnicity. It doesn't have a location. It doesn't have a corporate headquarters. It's a group of people that are committed to Jesus Christ. That's why we do church. Because we are living in our community as lights resourcing together and working together for something bigger than ourselves. That's why church. The first three weeks of this series are about God, and the next three weeks in this series will be about why we gather, why we work together, why we sacrifice. So I hope you'll come the whole six weeks and take it in. If you miss it, I hope you'll go online and listen to the messages and take in the teaching and study it. I hope you'll open yourselves up on Wednesday nights to be a part of the teaching here so that you can understand. Michael's teaching a class about what is the church, explaining what God is doing through this group of people we call the church. 
But I just want to begin this morning by taking off on what Michael said. Because God is a relationship God. He wants something more with us than just us obeying. He wants to do life with us. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be connected to us. God is about relationships with all people, even those who right now are antagonistic to him. God's ultimate goal is to be their father and for each of them to become his son and daughter again. So that's why, church. This morning what I want to point out is, taking on from what Michael said last week, there are parts of what God did that he did for us before we ever knew we needed it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to pose four very simple questions. I'm going to answer them as quickly as I can. And at the end, we'll see if we can tie a pretty ribbon around it so you can leave here knowing, why did God create the church? And why does he want me to be a part of it? First question is this. What was the problem? What was the problem we faced? And what do we do about it? Let's look at the first four verses of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And like we like to do here at Christ Church, let's process a a passage of scripture and let it tell us the answer. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and he will bring you back. This passage is interesting to me because I was always taught in school, that you look at the verbs, and then you find out who's doing the verbs. And when you read this passage of scripture, this is a sermon that Moses would have preached In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses would preach to the Israelites about who God was. And at the end of his life, when he knows his days are numbered, and he's about to hand the reign and the leadership of Israel over to Joshua, he preaches this particular message to the people and he records it. And he said, the Lord your God wants to do an amazing work through you, but you have to give God the one part of you that you can release to him, and unless you release it to him, He's not your God and you're not his possession. If you begin with Genesis chapter 12 and you take the story of Abraham and you project it forward, you're going to find a reoccurring word. It's found in the prophets. It's found in the gospels when they asked Jesus what it was all about. It's found in the writings to the church. It's this one concept, heart. If you will give God your heart, if you'll return your heart to God, heart, 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 the problem with every one of us, that the church helps us overcome is our heart problem. We have hard hearts, diseased hearts, broken hearts. We have hearts that are conveniently seeking God to do something for us, but never returning our heart back to him. God becomes a means to an end. And God says clearly in the scripture, if you will honor this relationship, this covenant that Michael talked about, if you will enter into this covenant with me, I will give you a new heart. I'll replace your heart of stone. And I'll give you a heart that beats in a powerful way. You see, we've we've mentioned this all through our faith series that started back on the 4th of July, all the way up until last Sunday. We talked about what is faith. And if you remember, one of the things I'm trying to impress upon each one of us to remember is it's not whether or not the Bible is clear about what God wants. It's always going to be about whether or not we believe God's relevant whether we believe he's really God. 
God is clear about what he wants from us. He wants our all, our heart, soul, mind, strength, and everything. It's whether or not we think that that's useful, relevant, significant. Endless books and sermons have been preached about giving God our hearts, but none of those are going to change you if you don't desire it. You don't seek it. So God saw a problem. He saw a hard-hearted people. Sometimes the Old Testament is called stiff-necked. They won't bend and bow to who he is. And God doesn't want us to bow to him out of fear. God wants us to bow out of respect. And so we're hard-hearted and stiff-necked and closed-minded and whatever other term you want to put, and that's the problem. Well, what's the remedy? What is God going to do then knowing that what we need, we don't even realize we need it. Verse 5. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. We're intrigued there, aren't we? Yeah. More land, more stuff, more power. Bring it. Verse 6. Lord your God will circumcise... Whoa. I like the land. I like the power. Church, relax. It's okay. We're going to talk about circumcision today. Everybody take a deep breath. Nobody hates this more than me right now. You guys have the easy part. Just listen. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. Two terms we want to talk about here. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in all the Testaments, here's the truth. The word heart does not mean what Hallmark has made it. It doesn't mean what Lifetime Movie Network has made it. It does not mean what Walt Disney made it. The word heart means the center of your being. Your emotions, yes. Your intellect, yes. Your will, yes. The term heart in the Bible means the totality of what makes you go. I like to say, because I'm a simple guy, your heart reveals your heart. Your heart reveals your personality. Your heart reveals your ambition by what makes your tail wag. What gets you up in the morning, what makes you excited, what you talk about, what you dream about, what you live about. And when God saw this relationship with mankind, he saw these hard hearts and he realized they need, they need parts of their heart cut away. Circumcision. It was a pact that God put in place with the men, starting with Abraham, and the men of this new nation of faith called Israel, that he would raise up from them a nation that would outnumber the sands of the sea, and that he would put a ruler on a throne, and that ruler would last forever, and his name would be Jesus. They didn't know it when he revealed it in the Old Testament, but it's clearly revealed in the New Testament, and they knew this one was coming, and so they would be circumcised. They would take the male reproductive organ, and they would cut away skin from the end of it. Awkward, I know. And they would do this as a sign of saying to the world that that my sin has been taken, my God is my God, and may I be cut away like what was done to me if I ever forsake my God or reject him. And they would enter into this covenant relationship through circumcision. So the concept of circumcision made sense to them. It was a part of their heritage. It was, it was done to the male reproductive organ because it resembled to them not only sin being cut away, but it also suggested to them their generations that would precede them. And there's something unique about our culture versus theirs, and it's important for us to grasp this. They lived in a patriarchal society, which meant, which meant sacrificing today for the children and the legacy of the generations that would follow us. Our generation isn't like that. We live for ourselves. And if we can leave something for our kids, fantastic. If not, they need to work hard. But in this generation, 
to think about a heritage and a legacy was a part of what you held God to and you hoped that God would provide. So circumcision was a sign of not only sin being cut away, but it was also a statement about my future and the legacy of the generations that God will provide me. So now we have this where God says, your heart, I need to circumcise away the filth. I need to circumcise away the parts that are dying and broken, the parts that you've damaged. And I need to give you a new heart. In fact, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it says, I'll give you a new heart, not just a circumcised heart, and I'll write my words on this new heart. You see, that was the solution. And part of the reason we have a church is to awaken us to the deadening in our hearts, the parts that don't beat anymore for God, the parts that have forgotten, excuse me, how much he's done for us. In fact, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus said to Jesus, what must I do to be born again? And it wasn't because he was ignorant. He knew he'd done everything he could do, everything he was capable of doing, keeping the law, being a good man, studying the Torah. He had it all down. He was one of the best men to ever meet Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus freaked because he couldn't do that. God had to do that. Church, are you with me today? The reason we have a church is so God can do what only God can do. Not what man can do for himself. This is not a self-help organization. This is God working in the midst of his people by the power of his spirit. And it's the only work that we need done that we can't do. So, how's your pulse? Pretty tacky, huh? He's the whole heart imagery the whole way. You guys are going to be impressed when I'm done. How's your pulse? It says in verse 6 through 8, He talked about circumcising your heart and the hearts of your descendants. Then he says, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Notice that the work God does by awakening us is the work that allows us to come to life. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. So here's what the Bible says. When God begins a work in us, this is what we begin to live differently through. This is how our heart beats in a new way. First of all, there's love. Verse 6. So that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Love. A sign of the changed heart is not that we know more about God. It's that we pay more attention to God. We're more aware of God. And one of the blessings in life that you can really see is a sign that you're growing in your faith and that you're understanding the work that God's doing in your life is you're grateful that he's doing it. You're not rejecting it. You're not ignoring it. You're not putting it off. But instead, you're holding on to it. See, you can know the doctrines of God. You can know theology of who God is. You can know about holiness, justice, and love. All of these things are important. But when God gives you a new heart, the Bible says you can taste it. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can experience it. I'm not talking about every moment of your life you have this big, warm, fuzzy feeling that God's into you. No, but every moment, every sunset... Every change of season, every challenge in your life and every blessing of your life, when your heart is alive to God, it all of a sudden will take on an understanding of who I need to appreciate for that. I remember growing up as a kid, my parents would circle the table and, Mark, would you pray for dinner tonight? And I remember one time telling them, no, uh, I didn't get dinner that night. I learned a lesson. Prayer, the old man will toss you. And so my dad and I had a conversation that night, and he said, Mark, I just can't. Imagine that you don't understand that, and he gave me a great lesson. He and my mom both did. 
He said, I have a job because God gave me talents and God gave me an opportunity and I get to work for this company and this company gives me money and we can provide you food and clothing and shelter and all these things come because God lets me have this and it it changed my life. Now there's some meals I stand in front of and they're awesome and someone says, Mark, will you pray? Absolutely. God, you know me. You know how grateful I am right now. Amen. No peas, no cats. Everything's great. And there are other times I have to stop in the day and say, well, I wouldn't have chosen this for dinner, but God, I'm grateful we have jobs. I'm grateful we have food. I'm grateful I have choices of food. Church, can I have an amen? When we live lives that don't love God, we take a lot of responsibility for things we didn't have that much to do with. And what we need to be reminding each other of is that we love God because God loved us first. Jonathan Edwards, a famous pastor in the 18th century New England, wrote these words. People with a new heart love and obey God for the beauty and attractiveness of who he is. They don't love and obey God because they have to. They don't love and obey God to get things. They don't love and obey God as a means to an end. They obey God because they love him as the end in of himself. They love him because he's beautiful. When God begins to work on your heart, you're grateful to the God who's working on your heart, and you love him. Second thing it shows us in verse 6 is life, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Jesus said, I came to give you life abundantly, not just so that you can survive. God did not save you so you could hold your breath and get to heaven. God saved you so you could begin to experience the joy of heaven right here and right now. You come alive, you start growing. There is nothing in all of creation that when it's alive, is not growing. It's always growing. Even when we get sick and head toward death, our bodies that aren't affected by the disease continue to grow. Growth is a part of life. In Romans seven twenty two, though, Paul challenges us that growing spiritually is not easy in our world. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul said, it's a battle every day to grow because I'm in conflict. I'm in conflict with my selfish desires. I'm in conflict with the things around me that offer me a temporary satisfaction instead of waiting on the Lord's best. But spiritual life, when God begins to cut away and circumcise from us the hardness of our hearts, the callousness of our consciences, I want to ask you a series of questions I asked the very first hour of worship here today. And I need you to answer for yourself, not for the rest of us. And, and then I got to warn you, and I need you to answer out loud. Are you at your core selfish? Yes. Are you at your core self-centered? Yes. So then ultimately, aren't you at your core human? Yes. So it's not easy to grow spiritually because we have to battle against all the things that have gotten us what we wanted anyway. And we have to submit to something different. Jesus described spiritual formation very interestingly in Mark chapter 4. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. So what he says is, spiritual growth takes time. And once the seed is planted, once God begins to tear away parts of our hearts that are not helping us grow, but in fact are killing us, once God begins to remove that, there's not only love, but there's life. There's growth. There's regeneration, the Bible calls it. 
and it takes time. You can't make a two-year-old become a four-year-old in six months. But you can create environments for that two-year-old to become a four-year-old in two years. Church, are you with me? There's things that a two-year-old should not do for its own safety. And two things, or several things that a two-year-old should not do so that someone allows it to become four-year-old. So there's yeses and nos, and here's a good thing, and here's a bad thing. And in our entire lives, the structure of our spiritual growth must have environments. Why church? Because God, and because this is an environment where the hardness of our heart can be identified, and the great physician can fix it. Because God wants to work in that. Love, life, and obedience. Verse 8. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you. Now, I want you to listen to this carefully. Most important thing I think I'm going to say this morning. The changed heart is not the result of obedience. Obedience is the result of a changed heart. You did not start obeying God and then he started loving you. You did not start obeying God and got his attention. He got your attention and you started obeying God. That conviction in your heart and soul, that encouragement from someone who loved you, was a work of God in community to awaken us. We obey because he loved us, not in reverse. So the sign of a heart that's being moved on by God is there is a love in you that was not there before. There is life in you and awareness of what God is doing that was not there before. And there is an obedience in your life that even surprises you. I I look back over my life and I know the significant levels of what's helped me become the man I am today. And it's not complete work. But between my parents, my grandparents, a camp manager at a church camp, my wife and my sons, I look at the influence of them. I would not be who I am today. Don't blame them. It'd be a mess if they weren't there. But now I'm the man that I am because I had people who invested in me and in community called me to the responsibility of becoming and doing the hard work of waiting on the Lord instead of always doing it my way. So like a seed that's planted, it will grow. You have to put it in environments where it's given the chance to become what it's supposed to be. So I asked you, how's your pulse? So I would need to ask you this. Do you need a transplant? And that's not to make you feel lesser. And that's not just to people who aren't Christians that might be here today. I'm talking to people who have been believers. You're veterans. You've been believers for years. But hardness of the heart is not something that's taken away once and forever. It is something that we have to protect ourselves from regularly, to open ourselves to God. Because there may be one part of your heart that when God first came into your life was reasonably okay, but now he's looking at it and saying, you know, we need to deal with that thing that you've been holding on to for way too long. Yeah, yeah, but God, you said you loved me, and you're going to... No, no, we're not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven. We're talking about whether you're experiencing heaven now. So he says to me regularly, Mark, that attitude isn't as funny as you think it is, and nobody else finds it cute. You want to talk about that? And there's times I'm like, well, can, give me a week. God reminds me every day, Mark, I need to talk to you about that. The reason you don't like it in yourself is because I'm showing you by pulling back layers of your hardened heart that there's a real you in there if you let it out. If you'll let me grow it, if you'll let me in community bring you to life. Deuteronomy 30, verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb. I want you to stop there. The first word in verse 9 is important. Then. 
when we allow God to begin to work on our hearts and we respond to it, then he begins to work. In the fruit of the womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. If we will allow God to do the work he wants to do, but he does not do that separately. He does that in our homes. He does that in the community of believers called the church. See, one preacher said it this way, you don't go to a heart surgeon and say, I need a heart transplant, I wanna run a marathon. Now, surgeons don't give you a new heart to make you perform better. They give you a new heart because the old one's killing you. And left to the devices of the old heart, it will not function and keep you alive. So when I ask you, do you need a heart transplant? What I'm asking is, are you open for God to point out the areas of your life that he wants by the gentleness of his mercy and the work of his son to remove? You see, the circumcision of the heart is a useful metaphor. Because Paul even told the church in Rome, he said, just having a physical circumcision doesn't make you a person of faith. But it is a sign of a covenant. In fact, what I find beautiful in the New Testament, they even equate baptism to circumcision. It's something you do physically that demonstrates a commitment in your heart to become a part of what God's asking you to become. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, the Apostle Paul says it this way. In him, his favorite expression for Christianity. In Jesus, you were also circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. One of the things I'm challenged regularly is when you read a passage of scripture is to say, how did Jesus demonstrate that? What did Jesus say about that? Or what did he call us to become? And if you want to know when this circumcision moment happened for Jesus, outside of what happened to him at eight days of age, being born a Jewish child, and he kept the law perfectly, when was this great moment of circumcision? It was on the moment on the cross when he was laid open before all of us, and God placed all the sins of the world upon him, and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he had been cut off from the presence of his father. And the imagery is powerful. So what are you supposed to do with all of this today? How's your heart? When you look at the cross of Christ, is there a love inside of you for what he did? Is there a respect and honor to live your life differently in respect to who that man was? What he offered you and the price he paid? Does it make you feel alive to know that your sins were placed on that cross and that man allowed you to walk free while he died? Does it make you want to obey that man who cared about you before you even knew he existed? Who came and died? He gave up the best parts of heaven to come to the worst parts of earth and face hell on earth. He did all of that. Does it make you listen to his voice and say, I'll do what you ask? Does it cause you to love, live, and obey? If it doesn't, then listen to the words of God. I will do a work in you if you will return your heart to me. I will again renew you. I will restore everything that I've taken away from you 
when you give me your heart, I will give you everything you've ever wanted. Not in possessions of the world. God's not interested in that. What he's saying to us is, I will give you a relationship with me. And when you have a relationship with the Father, then you'll understand the relational God, the covenant God. Why, church? Because God. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. For some of you, your hearts have never been circumcised. Because you've pushed God, kept God at a distance. I want to get from God, but I don't want to give him anything. God says, if you return your heart, if you give me your heart, I will bless you in ways you've never imagined. Because God. This morning, if you don't have that relationship with God, I would encourage you. We're going to be back in the corner. If you go out the back doors of our worship center, in the northeast corner, there's a prayer center. The elders will be back there. I'll be back there. We'll have some other people on our staff there to pray with you. Don't be threatened. But let me ask you a question. Church, do you want to love more? Do you want to live more? Do you want to obey him in a deeper way? Then let God do the work on your heart that allows this community to be the healing, support, and strengthening of this rehab we call salvation. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.